When you think about the history of our world, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think about the Genesis account. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you think about the hand of God being in all of creation. Yet I would venture to say that for most people, they think of history in terms of facts. They think of dates and specific events that occurred. But the history of our world is more than just a collection of facts and dates and events. The history of our world can best be told in terms of people. There have been great movements, noted battles. There have been the development of great institutions. But prominent in all of these developments and all of these events have been people. Marshal Foch was a great military leader of France. He was the commander of Allied forces during World War I. And speaking of a very well-known event of human history, he had this to say. It was not an army that crossed the Alps. It was Hannibal. And he was right. When we think about that great army that crossed the Alps, what do we think about? We think of Hannibal, a great moving force led by Hannibal. On December 25th and 26th in this country, we commemorate Washington crossing the Delaware to engage a surprise attack on the British forces at Trenton, New Jersey. But it wasn't just George Washington that crossed the Delaware River in the dead of night in the frozen, those frozen conditions. It was the Continental Army led by George Washington. You see, the most powerful impact upon our world has been the impact that has come from the lives of people. There was a time when everyone believed, the scientific community believed, that the sun revolved around the earth. Then a man named Copernicus came along. There was a time that everyone believed the earth was flat. If you went far enough, you'd just fall off. Boom, there you go. Then along came Columbus and Magellan. And all of a sudden, well, the world's not flat after all. There was a time when no real scientific medicine existed. That was long before there was a man by the name of Louis Pasteur. There was a time when there was no really effective nursing of the sick that took place. That was before Florence Nightingale appeared on the scene. Once upon a time, everyone walked where they went, rode a horse, or rode in a horse-drawn buggy. And then Henry Ford came along with the assembly line. When dusk came, dark settled over the entire countryside. But there was a man named Thomas Edison that came along and changed all of that. I can remember, and most of you can, that one of the most dreaded diseases used to be polio. 
And then along came a man by the name of Jonas Salk with his vaccine. And it changed all of that. Here's what I'm trying to say. Behind almost anything that we do, anything that we see, there are people. And those people have had influences that have changed and modified our world. And perhaps you could put it best in terms of your own life. What is the most powerful force in your own personal experience? My guess is that this morning if we went around the room and I said, what is the most powerful force in your own personal experience? You would say it's a mother or a father a teacher, or perhaps some friend. My speculation is that your influence would be in terms of a person. And generally speaking, it's a person that we tie to in times of stress and strain. That's why it means so much in times of illness for us. For someone that we love, And someone we have confidence in to come and see us. That's why it means so much when we're bereaved and broken hearted to have someone who loves us send us a card across the miles or come by and see us and talk with us. When we read the story of the prodigal son as it's contained in the gospel according to Luke. We remember that it was the memories and the pull of the father back home. The father across the miles that caused that boy to come to his senses and go back home. And all of this I've said is to say that the coming of a great person is the most influential, significant event in the history of our world. Long before men discovered the facts, God knew something. God knew that cold, unembodied ideas do not reach out and take hold of men and women with great power. But God knew that great truths embodied in a person have an impact that can change the flow of history. As you look back in a broad sweep of the Old Testament, you think of great people who lived. There was a Noah, a preacher of righteousness. There was a Moses who led God's people out of Egyptian bondage. There was a David, a man after God's own heart. Those great men. Embodying at least some of God's truths. Had a great impact upon their fellow man. And they had an impact on future generations that came after them. That can hardly be appreciated. Now, I think by now that you have figured out that I'm thinking about and talking about the greatest personality of all time. 
And that is the coming of God in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Because the incarnation literally means that God came down and lived among men. It is the person of the divine Son of God that has had the greatest impact upon my life and yours. As well as the greatest impact on all of history. I'm quite certain all of us in this room are aware that the coming of Jesus was something that was foretold in prophecy as much as 1,500 years before the coming of Christ. In the last book of Moses, there is a very meaningful sentence. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee of thy brethren like unto me, Unto him you shall hearken. That's in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. Moses is saying that God is going to raise up a person. God is going to raise up a prophet. And did you hear what he said? To him you shall hearken. And then the book of Isaiah is a very familiar prophecy in Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. A virgin shall bring forth a son and shall call His name Jesus. In the New Testament, the inspired writer Matthew refers to that sentence from Isaiah. An angel of the Lord had appeared unto Joseph to reassure him about Mary. Because they were about to be wed and Mary was with child. And Joseph is told that the child that Mary is carrying is a child of the Holy Spirit. Here are the words in Isaiah, from Isaiah in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Beginning in verse 20, it says, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now listen to it. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken to the Lord by the prophet saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then there's another wonderful passage. It's in the opening chapter of the gospel according to Luke. Beginning in verse 32. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. You see, God knew something. 
God knew that in order for His truth to take hold in the lives of people like me and you, people like us, God is going to have to demonstrate it in the life of a person. These are the prophecies announcing the coming of that divine person. The person who would have the same physical urges you and I have. The same need for food and for clothing and shelter. The same desires of every kind. The pers- a person susceptible to the same temptations you and I are susceptible to. And the truth is, as you and I both know, He did come. And when Jesus came, in His birth, His life, and His death, Jesus demonstrated for us what the Christian religion, what Christianity really is. We talked about it a few weeks ago. One of the greatest sentences anywhere in the Bible is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But folks, there's another great, profound, and beautiful passage in the first chapter of John. And in fact, from the standpoint of what we're talking about this morning, it's perhaps the most appropriate sentence in the entire Bible. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It's in John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14. Now, we talked about Copernicus, we talked about Henry Ford, we talked about Washington, we talked about Hannibal, we mentioned Columbus and Magellan. We mentioned Edison. But the greatest event in the history of this world was the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The greatest event in the history of this world was Jesus coming from His throne in heaven to live among men in the flesh. It was Jesus showing us how we ought to think, speak, live and act in every aspect of our lives. In the latter part of the Gospel according to John, Jesus is eating the Passover with His apostles. He's told them He's going to be going to the cross. He's told them He's going to be leaving them. And quite naturally, they've spent three years with Him. They've spent three years walking up and down the dusty roads of Palestine. They've watched Jesus heal the sick and raise the dead and make the lame to walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. And He's leaving them. And they're distraught over that. They're saddened by it. And in John 14, He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you might be also. Thomas said, Lord, we know not where you go. How can we know the way? 
And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And that was when Philip spoke up. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and it sufficeth us. Lord, show us the Father and that's going to be enough, Philip said. And I can just see the frustration, hear the frustration in Jesus' voice. I can see the sadness on his face. I can see the let down look as he says, Have I been so long time with you? And yet thou hast not known me, Philip? Have I been with you all these years, Philip, and you still don't know? You still don't understand? Listen to it in John 14 and 9. Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. That's what Jesus did. Jesus revealed God to us, to me, and to you. The emphasis I would love to make, I want to make this morning is simply this. Are you listening? Each of us needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If our loyalty is to an institution, even if it's a divine institution, the church, that may not be enough to pull us through the crises of life that come our way in times of real and serious temptation. We have a much greater chance of weathering the storm if we have a close intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Because when we have a close relationship with Jesus Christ, then we will have a vivid picture of our Lord. Our Lord looking to us, encouraging us, wanting us to be strong in times of severe illness in times of bereavement, in times of heartache, when our world is seemingly breaking apart and crumbling all around us, if we've got that intimate, close relationship with Christ, we'll find that that's going to carry us through the storm. You see, when God sent Jesus, when God sent a person God sent a real human being. God did something that is beyond our power to adequately appreciate. But Jesus did come and He came in the flesh and He came to show us the Father. But here's the thing. Though Jesus came to this earth, He lived among men. He went to the cross and He came forth from the tomb. Has Jesus Christ come for you? Because you see, if you have never made Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life, if you've never taken Jesus into your heart and into your life, then for you, He's never come. There are a great many people in our world, especially at this season of the year, 
People are talking about the coming of Jesus more and more. And yet, every day, whether it's on the television, whether it's on the street corner, whether it's at the grocery store, whether it's at Walmart, there are people talking about the coming of Jesus Christ who have never given Jesus any real place in their heart or in their life. And for those that have never given Jesus a place in their heart and their life, in a practical sense for them, Jesus has not come. It seems to me tragic. It's tragic 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52 weeks a year. It's tragic every day. But to me it seems especially tragic at this season of the year. When the world at large is so focused on the birth of Jesus. When people are talking about His birth and we hear people saying that Jesus is the reason for the season. And yet so many in our world, so many that we even see saying that, have never really felt the impact of His coming. And you say, well, wait a minute, you're, you're judging people. No, no, I'm not. But when I see people that still lie and cheat and steal, and then those same people say, Jesus is the reason for the season. I remember what Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. And they're not exhibiting the fruits that Jesus would have them to exhibit. People say He's the reason for the season, and yet so many have never really felt the impact of Jesus coming. I don't know when Jesus came. I don't really know the season of the year or the month or the day. But regardless of when, the message I want the world to hear is that Jesus came. When is not important. The message I want people to hear is that Jesus came. And that's the message I want to leave this morning. Now, this is going to come as a shock to all of you. I mean, hold on to your seats. I love this time of the year. You didn't know that, did you? Like the song that Andy Williams made popular, it is the most wonderful time of the year. And there's a lot in this season that's good and wholesome and fine and memorable and enjoyable. But also there's a lot of this part of the year that has been hijacked and commercialized and sensualized and debased. And I don't necessarily like that. But forget all that. And just sound forth this message loud and clear. A message that needs to be sounded forth loud and clear every day of the year, every year. And that is that Jesus Christ came. And that the coming of Jesus Christ changed our world. And the coming of Jesus Christ made possible the change in the destiny of our souls, mine and yours. There's a song that is in our, I think it's in this book, I know it's in many of our hymn books. A song we've sung in the past, a song that I think has a beautiful sentiment. Breathe a sigh of relief, I'm not going to sing it. 
into my heart. Into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And that's what needs to be the prayer on all of our lips. You know, for for many people, they've never really let Jesus come into their heart. They've never made Jesus the Lord and the Master of their lives. If you've never made Jesus the Lord and the Master of your life, if you've never let Him into your heart, I beg you to do that. You let Jesus in by coming in simple trusting faith, believing in Him with all your heart. Turning your back on sin through repentance, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. And that makes Jesus the Lord and the Master of your life. That puts Him in control. That makes you a Christian. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Just a simple New Testament Christian. And you let Jesus into your heart. And maybe you've done that. You haven't lived His kind of life. The fruit you've produced hasn't been Christian fruit and you need to come back and let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you. I would beg you this morning, let Jesus Christ come into your heart. Let Him change your thinking. Let Him change your way of living. Let Jesus change your eternal destiny. Make Jesus the Lord and the Master of your life. And let Jesus save your soul. It's your opportunity to do that as together we stand and while we sing.